there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! those of you who uh, who have been here for a while, you know we're smack dab in the middle of this series entitled The War Within. And we're going to continue along those lines today. And uh, just to bring you up to speed, if you are new here, we've been studying now, this is the seventh week, about this battle that every Christian faces. When you give your life to Christ, uh, when you've been living in the flesh, and by the flesh we mean sensuality, uh, the things you see, hear, smell, and taste, Those things that bring you pleasure will war absolutely against the Spirit of God uh, that lives inside of you. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence, there's a turf war that ensues. It's like two cats that can't get along. They're never going to get along. Uh, And this is this battle between the flesh and the spirit that we've, we've been talking about. We all live in unregenerated bodies. And so the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans 7 says it this way. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And every time I read that scripture and in the context of this battle of the spirit and the flesh, I always envision Paul having a a corpse chained to to his waist or to his ankle and that everywhere Paul goes, he's got to drag this corpse along. This is this, this battle between our old nature which died, we died to ourselves, uh, and we were risen as Christians to walk a new life. And there's, there's this great battle that ensues. And so you know, as well as I do, that this can weigh us down. Uh, it's a very heavy and a very real battle that we all face. And so for six weeks, we've been talking about the battle within. And we've been talking specifically here lately about how to fight against it. What steps do I need to take um, to to engage in this battle with my flesh? Uh, And let me tell you what has brought me a lot of joy over the last, I would say, three weeks. Um, I have gotten a lot of cards, phone calls, text messages, and and email, uh, emails from many of you who have said, listen, Um, I'm finally making traction against this battle. I'm finally using some of the things that we've talked about. I had one lady say, man, I was so anxious the other day, and I remembered uh, you talking about uh, replace worry with worship, and so I started just worshiping God, and and the anxiety just fled like that. Um, And I think she was surprised that it worked, uh, but but it it does. And so uh, it brings me great joy. Uh, because the position I'm in, normally when I get text messages, phone calls, or emails, it's bad news, right? It's, it's something's wrong, we hate your church, you're a liberal, or, or whatever. And so to, to, get those, to get that feedback from you uh, lets me know uh, that you're hungry and that you're learning. And so it's, it's just brought a lot of great joy. Um, today, we're going to eventually, and the key word here is eventually, make our way to Ephesians chapter 6. We kind of scratched the surface last week. This is that famous armor of God passage. But before we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we need to roll up our sleeves and we got a little work to do. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a second. Um, And the reason I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2 is because the Apostle Paul lists for us 
the three great enemies that every Christian has. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have three great enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All right, and so I want to read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to see the world, the flesh, and the devil here. Paul says in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Let me just stop right there and remind you, all of us were born with physical bodies. Uh, Theology 101 is that we had a dead spirit inside of us. Once we gave our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit rushes in and resurrects that dead spirit. Now we can worship God in spirit and in truth. Um, And not only does he do that, but he takes up residence inside of us. He says, so you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and and once you walked following, don't miss this, the course of this world. So there's enemy number one, the, the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's another descriptive title of Satan. There's enemy number two. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we were all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh there's the third enemy carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind and so paul lists for us these three great enemies the world the flesh and the devil and so before we even make our way to ephesians 6 Um, I want to talk to you specifically about these three great enemies that you have, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the reason I want to talk to you about them is because we're going to be using these terms for the next four or five weeks as we go through Ephesians chapter 6. So let's talk about these three great enemies. The first one is let's talk about what Paul calls the world. Um, He says in verse 2 of the text I just read you, he says, you're dead in your trespasses and, and sins. And in verse 2, Uh, Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world. Some translations will say following the patterns of this world. What this is referring to are the the systems around us, and you, you don't have to look far, that are opposed to God moving forward. Um, It represents worldly systems, worldly teachings, worldly morals, worldly ideologies, And John tells us that the world system is based on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and that the world and its desires are going to be, are going to pass away. They're going to be destroyed. The world system is governed by evil. It's it's here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, We were all born in a corrupt world. This is a fallen world world. John, the beloved apostle, talks about this worldly system a lot in 1 John. I want to point you to 1 John 2.15, where John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't know that you can be any clearer than that, But I think James, the brother of Jesus, is even clearer when he says in James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world 
is enmity. Enmity means hatred or hostility. So he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred and hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then in John 17, Jesus is, has this beautiful prayer. He's praying for his uh, disciples. Um, and he, he, he tells them that he's, not going, he's leaving. He's not going to take them out of the world. They're going to remain in the world. But here's what he says in, ver, in John 17, 16. They, the apostles, are not of the world. They're in it, but they're not of it. Just as I, Jesus, am not of the world. And so Jesus says, listen, we don't follow the same value system as the world does. The world system is this interlocking of, of structures influenced, I believe, by evil spirits and ultimately headed by Satan himself. And, and its chief purpose is to derail and deceive human beings, separating them from God and trying to destroy them. Billy Graham, who was way ahead of his time as a preacher, um, he said this about the world, and I, I want to quote it. Quote, he says, There is the cosmos, the world system, which is headed by Satan and based upon self, greed, and pride. This is the world that God warns us about, and, and it is the world system and philosophy that Christians are to shun and remain free from, end of quote. And so just real quickly, when you think about worldly systems, I, I want you to understand that these systems affect every area of life and learning, every area you can think of, entertainment, government, philosophy, literature, business, medicine, religion, science, ethics, social media, and on and on we can go. You can see these worldly systems play out. And this is why we should take the example of Jesus and John 17 and say, listen, we are in this world. We have to be here. We're in this fallen world and in this world of broken systems, but we don't have to have the world inside of us. And there's a vast difference between the two. Um, in my youth ministry days, we used to use the boat illustration, um, you know, the boat's on the water, but not the water in the boat. And I found out this, I found this to be true firsthand. Um, when we were, only had two kids, I have five, but when Lindy and I only had two children, uh, we had a little more money then. Uh, and so I went and bought a boat, a bass boat, and I was so excited about it. And I bought that, I bought it used, but I finally uh, bought that thing and brought it home. And uh, I, I loaded Lindy in the car and the two kids. And I, was, I said, let's go to Altoona Lake. Uh, let's just go on a boat ride. We don't have to fish. I just want to take you on a ride. And so we put that boat in the water and man, we started just bebopping around Altoona Lake. And I, I just noticed like every second the boat was, was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the water. And I thought, what in the world is going on? Well, I, rem I remembered real quickly that if you're a boat owner, you'll appreciate this. There's a little plug that you have to put in the boat before you put the boat in the water. If you don't put that plug in the boat, the water's gonna come in and it's going to sink your boat. And so we made a mad dash <laughs> to the boat ramp. I mean, I must've looked like a crazy person and got the boat out of the water and drained the boat, put the plug in and then our day uh, resumed as normal. Um, 
the world's systems, the world's values, the world's philosophies, we're like a boat. We have to navigate through them. The problem ensues when we begin to fill ourselves with those teachings and those philosophies and those ideologies, okay? So that's enemy number one, what what Jesus would call the world. Um, Enemy number two is the flesh. That's this old nature we've been talking about for six weeks now. This back and forth battle that you have going on inside of yourselves. You want to do the right thing, but your flesh sometimes interferes and you end up doing the very thing that you hate. That's what Paul, that's how Paul described it. Um, So real quick, I want to read the text we've been in for six weeks because next week we're going to totally move out of Galatians 5, and we're going to camp out in Ephesians 6 for a while, so I'll be able to put this on the shelf. But I want to read it one last time where Paul is talking about this battle between the spirit and the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. He says, but I say, excuse me, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. There's a war going on inside of every one of us, all right? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then verse 18, but if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so what we have been saying and what we've been teaching for the last several weeks is the key to fighting this flesh, this battle, is not to do it on your own. You cannot white-knuckle your way against the flesh. You will lose every time. The key to winning this battle is the Holy Spirit, and more specifically, to walk by the Holy Spirit. Um, Now, let me say this before we move on, and uh, this will be the last time I mention this, uh, but, but I really want you to understand something. I think many people believe and may have been falsely taught that if you give your life to Jesus, he's going to make everything good. He's going to bless everything, right? Just He's like, like pixie dust on everything. He, you're not going to get sick. You're going to be wealthy. You're always going to be healthy. You just name it and claim it. And if you have enough faith, God, I mean, he, he wants you to drive a Lexus and live in the nicest neighborhood and wear the nicest clothes and, and, and have the, the most beautiful family. And you're never going to have problems. And so I think when we envision Christ saving us, and the Holy Spirit coming into us, and we're told to walk by the Spirit, I think we envision that that walk with the Spirit is going to be through some beautiful meadow, right, with flowers everywhere. And man, I've got the Holy Spirit now, and we're just going to kind of dance among the lilies, and life is is going to be great. And listen, I hope your life is great. I'm not here to be a doom and gloom prophet. But the prosperity gospel is not scriptural. It is not. Jesus said, in this world, you are going to have troubles. If they persecuted me, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're going to have problems. One of my favorite shows in the world 
is a show called Parks and Recreation or Parks and Rec. Um, and uh, I, I just love that show. I've, I, we have probably watched that show, my wife and I, uh, probably, you know, I think it's like seven seasons. We probably watched it eight or nine times. We just, every night before we go to bed, we just turn it on because it's kind of a feel-good show. But there's this character that, that I want to show you. It's in the series finale named Gary Gergich. Um, and this is on his 100th birthday. And I want to show you this because I think that we feel like once we have Christ and we're in and, and the Holy Spirit's with us, it's going to be this meadow walking life and everything's going to be great. Uh, so just take a look real quick. Happy birthday, my sweet, sweet husband. We all love you so much. I have had the perfect life. I have had the perfect marriage, oh. <laughs> the perfect children, and the perfect grandchildren and great-grandchildren. <laughs> and I just want you to know how much I love you. Okay, come on, everybody, say Gergich. Gergich! Now, I don't know how your life looks, but mine doesn't look that way at all. At all. Uh, what I want you to understand is that walking with the Spirit does not guarantee this life. It's not like walking through a meadow. You know what it's really like? Walking through a minefield. This life is like walking through a minefield. And the minds are set by our flesh, by our desires that come from the inside out. All right? And so the Holy Spirit wants to walk us through the minefield, not the meadow. And so it kind of, let me say this, if life were a meadow, once you accepted Christ as your Savior and, and, and you just lived to be 100 and your wife never, never aged and your kids never strayed and they all loved you and they never lived in your basement for you know, all, that, all that stuff that happens, um, if that were the case and you never got sick and you never had financial problems, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said? He said to his disciples, hey, I, I'm, I'm about to be crucified. They, it went right over their heads. I'm going to die. But listen, take heart. Don't worry, because there's one greater coming, the Holy Spirit. And he is your comforter. He is your counselor. He is your, your advocate. He is there for you. And so when I say it's not a meadow, it's a minefield, and we have to walk by the Spirit, here's how this looks. First of all, you give the reins to the Spirit. The problem is we try to lead the Spirit where we want to go. It doesn't work that way. I've, we've already talked about this. God is not your co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. And so the Spirit says, all right, walk by me. We're going through this minefield. Your flesh has set minds through this worldly system. And so it kind of looks like this. Holy Spirit's first. Our, we're behind him. And the Holy Spirit says, all right, now come on, follow me. Now don't step right here. Don't step right there. That's going to lead to an addiction. Don't step over here. That's a toxic relationship. And we walk and we maneuver through the minefield to ultimately get us to the meadow. The meadow is on the other side of the Jordan. The meadow is on the other side of this life. The meadow is in the presence of God. It is in heaven with him. You've got to go through the minefield to get to the meadow. Your flesh doesn't want you to go to the meadow. And so the Holy Spirit is there to empower and equip you to walk you to where you need to go. So we've got this constant battle coming from the inside called our flesh. That's enemy number two. The other enemy that Paul mentions in this passage is the devil. 
goes by many names, Beelzebub, Lucifer, Satan. Revelation, the book of Revelation tells us that he is a fallen angel. Uh, a lot of scholars believe he was the worship leader of heaven in the throne room of God. You got to watch out for them worship leaders, I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Will, wherever you are. But he was the worship leader, all right? And then something happened, and we're told in Scripture that he and one-third of the angels rebelled against God. There's, the question is, well, what was the rebellion over? A lot of people say it was pride. We don't know, but here's what we do know. He said to himself, I will ascend above God. In other words, I don't know that God knows what he's doing. There's a better person to run this system. Even though God created me, I, I know more than God. So I'm going to get my cronies together. We're going to rebel and we're going to overthrow God. And then the other question is asked, well, what made Satan so ticked off? Why did he want to do this? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? And this is just an opinion, so you don't have to, you don't have to agree with me. This happened before the, cre before the creation of man. I believe this conflict happened over our creation because Scripture tells us that, that essentially God loves us more than the angels. We are, we are over the angels. We are exalted over the angels, and I think Satan didn't like that. And the net result is what happened as soon as Adam was created and then Eve was created, he attacked them. They fell, and now we're in this broken worldly system. He is our great enemy. The Bible describes Satan as a liar, a deceiver, an accuser, a tempter, a thief, and a murderer. So, so let me ask you this, uh, men. If you have a daughter who's of dating age, you know, 16, 17, I don't know how, what your standards are, but you have this daughter and she begins to date, all right? And this guy comes over to pick her up. Uh, you know, at the house. And so you bring them in and maybe you're cleaning your shotguns by coincidence. I don't know. Um, but you bring them in and you start talking to him and you say, all right, you're going to, you're going to you're going to take my daughter out. Tell me a little bit about yourself. And he says, well, sir, I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm an accuser. I'm a tempter. I'm a thief and I'm a murderer. You're not going to say, well, have her home by 10. Good night right? You're going to say, get out of my house. She's not going out with you. Right, these traits are terrible traits, but these traits are what the DNA of Satan are, a liar, deceiver, accuser, tempter, thief, and a murderer. And he has been in this long war against God. And if you are God's child, he is also warring against you. And so you have these three great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh and the devil operate within the systems of the world. So you have this worldly system of sin and disobedience and darkness, and we live in that system. That's why it's healthy to remind us on a daily basis sometimes that this world is not our home. We are not citizens here. Scripture says we are ambassadors here. We are representatives of Christ. Our home is with the Lord, and we need to remind ourselves that this world is not our home. We are not fighting on our own soil, on our, in our own homeland. And our other two enemies, the flesh and, the, and, the, uh, and, and Satan, will use the worldly systems to attack us. 
So in a very real sense, I want you to think of it this way. We're attacked from the inside, as we've been talking about for six weeks now, from the flesh. That voice inside of your head, it's okay to do this, or, you're, or, or God's never going to love you. That, that, that voice, that war that we have going on inside of us, all right? That's an inside war. Not only are we attacked from the inside, but we're also attacked from the outside. And the one who attacks us from the outside is Satan and his minions. So in a very real sense, you have a war going on within yourself, and you are at war without yourself or from from the outside of yourself. Galatians chapter 5 dealt with the inner war, the flesh. And as we move into Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to shift and we're going to talk about fighting the war going on outside of ourselves that's around us. And this is the verse we looked at last week just to kind of scratch the surface of Ephesians 6. Paul, as he's ending this letter, is trying to encourage the Christians in in Ephesus. He says this in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Again, it's not you white-knuckling your way through it. You can't do it. We're too weak. It's the Lord's might. Put on, now let me preacher emphasize, the whole armor of God. Let me say that again, whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so last week we talked about fighting those schemes and we looked at what those schemes are and how the devil attacks us. What I want to do real quick as we kind of wind this thing down uh, is I want to look at verses 12 and 13. And this is going to put us right on the doorstep next week to begin to systematically go through and unpack the armor of God. So in verse 12, he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Time out. Stop right there. For six weeks, preacher, you've been saying the greatest battle we have inside of ourselves is our flesh. And now Paul's saying we're we're not battling against flesh and blood. I don't understand. We'll get to it. But again, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So let me back up and, and, and answer the first question. We've been talking about the battle of the flesh, but Paul says our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Uh, it's two different words for flesh here. What we've been talking about is sensuality, the, our, the, the things, the desires that are stirred up in us, uh, our own weaknesses, that, that fleshly battle. What Paul's talking about here is, he's essentially saying, your battle is not against human beings. It's not. And I know sometimes we really want to battle human but it's not against human beings. Some of the adversaries we have are human, but behind them are these supernatural forces. So let, let me use this as an illustration, and I do not mean to offend anyone in here, but I do it all the time. Um, the world has their eyes fixed on the other side uh, of, of the world uh, of this war between Russia and the Ukraine, all right? And, and you can have your opinions about it. I can have my opinions about it, but we can all agree it's horrible. We can all agree that there are women and children and civilians and, and older people who, who are innocent, who are, who are dying in this war. Okay, now stay with me. So to, for the Ukrainian people... They would easily say our battles against uh, President Putin of Russia, right? 
Uh, I would say it's not against President Putin. There's an evil spirit behind President Putin. Uh, you don't kill women and children and innocent people um, if, if you're right, all right? And so just like there was an evil spirit behind Stalin, Adolf Hitler, I believe there's this evil spirit behind Vladimir Putin. So if he is taken out, there's a vacuum that's included. Uh, there could be just another guy or girl that gets in there that has that same evil spirit pushing them uh, to, to, dis to destruction and destroy and, and kill innocent people. And so these forces influence the world and they attack in particular us. We're enemy number one because we're Christians, all from the outside. These evil forces are, we're told in the text, first of all, you can see they're categorized. Um, it's a very organized army that Satan has. It, it is not guerrilla warfare. He is very concise. He has a structure system. Go back to our Angels and Demons series. There are different types of angels with different types of ranks. I think that's the same way with these evil spirits and fallen angels and, de and demons. And so it's very organized. I tell you all that to tell you we have a formidable opponent. But Paul says these evil forces are in heavenly places. I want to show you a picture of our earth. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful big blue ball in the sky in the darkness of space. Our earth sits in the Milky Way galaxy, right? And I, I, I might have, yeah, that's it. I, I was doubting myself that I had the wrong picture at the nine o'clock service. Uh, but the Milky Way galaxy is this huge galaxy you studied in school. And if you were able to travel the Milky Way galaxy and you were able to travel at the speed of light, which you can't, none of us can, it would still take you thousands and thousands and thousands of years to get across the Milky Way galaxy. Here's what's fascinating. As vast as that is, it's a drop in the bucket in our universe with Satellite or with uh, telescope technology, we now know that the Milky Way galaxy is just one of 100 billion other galaxies in the universe. Now, that's just what we can see. There are some scientists that, that think there's up to 2 trillion galaxies in the, in the universe, and others believe there may even be more universes. So think about it. You, you've got this just massive expanse of deep space. And then you have this little dot, this little insignificant blue ball that we call Earth. Why so big? Why, why did God create so much vastness in the universe? Some would argue those in the John MacArthur School would argue to house all of these angels, to house the good and the fallen angels, because there are innumerable amounts of angels in the spiritual realm. Look at Hebrews 12, It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to immeasurable Angels. When you kind of unpack that, that's the highest word in the Greek uh, that you can count to. It, it's basically what he's saying. There are so many angels that 
our human minds, we, we, we don't have a calculator big enough. There, there, there's just a vast army of angels. And I bring this up to let you, to, to inform you, we have a formidable opponent. They're moving out of the heavenly realms and in and out of our lives and in and out of our past. And, and their key is they have declared war on us. So that's a huge problem. So here's Paul's solution. And this will put us right on the doorstep for next week. Paul says, therefore, now whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, what is the therefore? The therefore is because of this war going on in heavenly places that we're now involved in. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done this, stand firm. So you'll notice in verse 13, he repeats that phrase, the whole armor of God. And, and I bring this up to, to tell you this is not a pick and choose. This is not a, well, you know what, I want part of this armor and I, and I want this. No, Paul says, listen, in order to fight this battle, you need, I need, we all need the whole armor of God. So I went to a small Bible college, uh, Mid-Atlantic Christian University, <laughs> Uh, and I was, uh, I played basketball there for, for four years. Uh, we were dirt poor, uh, our athletic program, and so we didn't have any kind of trainers. We had a coach and we had players. Um, and so the net result is we had to take care of our own uniforms, our own equipment, you know, and, and wash them and, and, and have them ready to go. Well, we went to this basketball game. It was like three hours away from where I went to school. It was another college in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And um, we got off the, got out of the vans and the buses and we're going back to the locker room and we were getting ready uh, to, you know, get dressed to, to warm up to go play. And man, I, I pulled out of my duffel bag, my shorts, I put on my basketball shorts. I put on my tank top, my, you know, my, my basketball jersey. I put on my basketball socks, my warm-up pants, my warm-up shirt. I put on my wristband and then I looked in my duffel bag and I didn't have any shoes. I had dress shoes that I wore on the van to, to go to the game like penny loafers. Uh, or something like that. It was a long time ago. Um, but, and I put dimes in my penny loafers because that was a cool thing to do back then. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. Stay on task. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I can't play in these penny loafers. And so I said, hey, coach, I, I don't have my shoes. And he said, does anybody in this locker room, did anybody bring an extra pair of you know, basketball shoes? And the shortest, smallest guy on our team said, I did. I wear size 14. He wore size like eight. I'm like, dude, I can't even fit my big toe in there. And so the net result was this. I didn't play in the game. I just sat on the bench. Paul is, is saying, and we're going to unpack this in detail over the next few weeks. Listen, it's not enough to just have a piece of the armor. Like I think if we just had the sword that we'll talk about, that's all we need. So Paul, you need the full armor of God. If you don't have the full armor of God on, you're not ready to go into battle. If you don't have the full armor of God on, you're relegated to sitting on the bench and having pretty much an insignificant impact for the kingdom of God. So we need to, uh, let, let me close. Uh, Leonidas, the king of Sparta, uh, was preparing to make a stand with his Greek troops against the Persian army in 480 BC. Um, you may have seen the movie 300, which is, loosely ba based on this true event. 
Um, so Leonidas was preparing to go to battle with this mighty Spartan army. And uh, the Persians sent a messenger to Leonidas to basically tell him uh, of the futility of trying to resist the advance of this Persian army. And here's what the messenger said to King Leonidas. He said, our archers are so numerous that the flight of their arrows will darken the sun. To which Leonidas replied, well, that's so much better for, for now we shall be able to fight them in the shade. I love that. We are in this spiritual battle. This world is a dark place. And we're fighting in the shadows, in the shade of sin and death and destruction. But we must stand firm and put on the armor of God. Let me, let me close by just saying this. Um, and I, I was privileged to, to speak last night. at our, We have a Saturday service uh, over in the other building, uh, Celebrate Recovery Service. And um, I, I, I pointed this out, and I want to point this out to you. Um, in, in this battle that you have, you, like me, are stuck in this worldly system. You're going to have your flesh battling you from the inside. You're going to have the enemy of Satan and his minions battling you from the outside. So you're going to be hit and assaulted from all fronts. And, and, and here's what I want, to, to want you to understand. You're going to lose some battles. Your flesh is going to win out from time to time. Your enemy will defeat you, and you'll have to retreat and, and flee. You will lose some of these battles. But take heart, because if you are in Jesus Christ, though you may lose some battles, you will ultimately win the war. That's why we sing there is victory in Jesus. He's already defeated Satan. Now we're just choosing sides. Whose side are you on? We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.